the best thing to ever happen to our marriage was always going into church in two separate cars. Uh, this was before priest, so you could just avoid a lot of issues. And that was even before kid. This is where we had a kid. But anyway, welcome to the eight. Welcome to our last part of our series uh, titled "Strengthen the Elders, Chasten the Young," which is the principles of parenting, which is our subtitle. I don't know why this is the case. There's always a tension. I'll speak for myself. There's always tension between like my stuff and my kid, right? Like, I like I remember when I, I got a new phone and she was born. You know, so that, of course this is like four years ago. And like my heart always pauses whenever she's holding my phone or holding um, any of my like you know iPad or iPhone. I, I get stressed. Like she's touching my stuff. Something's about to happen to it. So my heart just like literally comes out of my chest. I get so stressed. Now I'm not so stressed about when she touches my stuff because I need to find an excuse so I can get more new toys. But I mean, there's always this tension for us parents, like between our stuff and our kids touching or using our stuff. And there's always this tension. And it maybe kind of brings to light maybe our superficiality or my like obsession with our stuff or my stuff I should say at least. But this is just one example of the tension that exists in parenting, and it's not the only example. The Bible, the B I B L E, is full of dysfunctional families, full of dysfunctional parents, full of broken families, full of broken parents trying to figure out this parenthood thing. So we're in great company of us trying to figure out what on earth it means to be a godly or a mature parent. So we have plenty of examples from that. But the beautiful thing is that yes, the Bible is full and full of of of, of broken issues and families and parents and and broken. You just see so much, so many different dynamics that exist in so many different families in the Bible. The beautiful thing is there is a constant. There is a remedy. There is a physician, there is a north star to point us to how do we bring our brokenness and parenthood and how do we find healing? Like where do we go with the issues that exist in our households? There's a constant and that constant put on skin and we know him as Jesus. And this is the beauty of Jesus is now everything is centralized on who he is now he gives us the fullness of life, as we say in our mission statement here. Or in other words, he is the cluster of life. And this is a language or, or verb or, 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 you know, the terminologies were taken from the Igbeya. The Igbeya is just a Coptic term to describe a personal prayer book, which the church encourages us to use for our own personal connection with God. And we say this in the third hour in the, in the midsection of, of, this, of this prayer book is that we describe Jesus as being the cluster of life. If someone is the cluster of life, he is the fullness of life. So even though Jesus never directly talked about the Ten Commandments of Parenthood or says, here what you need to do to be a good parent, he makes it extremely clear how we can find the fullness of life in him. He has come to restore all things, to make all things new. He comes and he takes our brokenness. We talked about this in part one a few weeks ago, that he takes the, the realness of where we are and points us to what ideal is. He pushes us to how we are designed to live. He is the fullness of life who points us how to parent, even though he never really explicitly said, this is how you parent, and here, follow these points, and you are good to go. And this just reminds me. I remember when, like, we first found out we were expecting, I went to my spiritual father, and I said, you know, hey, you know, we're expecting, do you have any advice for me? And if, I'm saying, this, 
this is not this is only applicable to me. So I'm not I'm not I'm not saying this is gospel or anything like that. He said, don't get lost in all the parent books because every kid is different. Like so, there's no like you know follow these 14 points and how to be a good parent and you're good to go. Every child is different. Those who have more than one kid, you know that every kid is different. So there's not like just like some textbook to follow as far as how to parent a child. Every person is a little bit different. So he and 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 we find the fullness of life on how to behave, how to find life, how to express love, how to deal with different personalities, how to parent through the one who is the cluster of life. Jesus pushed us to push unconditional sacrificial love to others without expecting anything in return. He, he raised the bar so high. He says, love others in the same way in which I love you. This is the point. He kept on drilling multiple times. He drilled that last Thursday evening he had with his disciples as they were celebrating this, their last supper. He made a big deal. Love others in the same way I love you. And he kept on pushing them, pushing them. That's their main agenda. Everything else he said was, was complementing that main mission statement, to love others in the same way that I am expressing love to you. And he showed the totality of what love is intended to look like to the point of death. And he pushed his followers and he pushes us today to do the same. You fast forward and now you have an apostle by the name of St. Paul who made it more tangible for us to hold on. What does it mean for me to love, you know, the way that Jesus did? What does that look like in marriage? What does that look like with parenting? What does that look like with that annoying coworker or that boss? How do I, like, how does that look like? St. Paul gives us handles on how to execute that love. And we have been emphasizing maybe more than we should this one part that St. Paul kept on emphasizing, like he's writing this letter to the city of Corinth in Greece, and he told them that love is so long-suffering. Love requires of you to be patient. It's not, you better do this now, and, 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 and no, love requires us to be long-suffering. And we talked about this in detail, so I don't want us to go in circles on talking about that, but this is the number one thing that St. Paul opened and pushes, encourages us, and cheers us on of how do we love others it requires us to be long-suffering. St. Paul continues, and he tells us this, that love is kind. We read it, that seems like a nice third-grade word to use, that love is kind, and that's like, what does that mean? Yeah, sure, love is kind. But the, the language in which St. Paul is pushing us to do, it's this exactly. Kindness means, requires us to loan our strength as opposed to reminding someone of their weakness. Let me say that again. Kindness is loaning your strength as opposed to reminding someone of their weakness. In other words, kindness means you see someone else's weakness. You see someone else's flaw. Utilize your strength to uplift that person as opposed to reminding them of what they did wrong or what they need to do better or how bad they are or I told you before. Kindness requires of how do we lift them up. If Jesus came to our level to lift us up, then it requires us to do the same with our relationships, with our friendships, with our kids. Love is long-suffering. Love is kind. It does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. We talked about, th we talked about this point last week. That honor is so much more superior than to obedience. Like, we don't want just our kids just to obey, 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 obey. You better listen to what I'm saying. Because if, if, whenever that becomes the bar of success, of just to obey, then we're going to find a way to get around it. We're going to find a way to get around it. Like, it's just, okay, what's the rules? So that way I can see how I can bend the rules or get around the rules, right? We see our kids do that all the time. 
Okay, five more minutes. Okay, well, I really know I don't need to obey that because I can get around it. We don't want our kids just to obey. We want them to honor. Like, honor is so much more superior than just obedience. We should not set the bar to just to obey, but we should set the bar to honor. If I honor someone or something, then I have a reverence toward that person. Then, I'm, it's, it, it, then love is, is, the, is the bond as opposed to just me obeying them. Obey, is, that's, the low, that's, the, that's the lowest bar. But we want something so much higher. We want there to be honor. Liturgically. In our ancient prayers, we say honor and glory to the all-holy trinity in which we take our limited nature and give honor to the one who is unlimited. And we're acknowledging that we are limited, pursuing the one who is unlimited. We take our brokenness to the one who is whole and we give honor to him. And a synonym to that is to, to give worship to him, to give him worth, to elevate him above our logic. This is why we push for us to honor someone so much bigger than ourselves. This is why we push ourselves to honor the cluster of life. You don't, like, don't, please don't raise your hands, but do your kids stir you up? Do your kids get you fired up? 100%. Our kids get us fired up. And I want to go back to what, what, what St. Paul was saying. He says, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it's not selfish, and it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. We kind of get that, right? We're not going to sit there and be like, well, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. That's belittling someone, right? That's not honoring them, that's not elevating, that's not love, right? So we don't need to discuss that. But St. Paul says it is not easily angered. If you look at the Greek of what St. Paul is using, it's not easily angered. What St. Paul is saying, he's using actually a cooking term, saying, it is not easily stirred up. He's using the word, it is not stirred up. Let me give it an elaboration of this. Like most Saturday nights, definitely last night, like, I, like I'll finish church and I'll come home and like, you know, I, I, I don't always cram, but I'm reviewing my, my sermons for the next day and I always like to eat banana and almond butter. That's like my go-to thing. So banana and almond butter is great. So, so I get the almond butter out of the fridge and, like, obviously when you pull it out, what do you see? You see oil and then, like, all the, the peanut butter or whatever, almond butter or whatever is on the bottom, okay? So I really have to stir it up before I put it on top of my banana, right, before my snack uh, you know, on Saturday night. So when I do that, like, when I'm mixing it, all the ingredients are already in that bucket, right? The oil, the water, the, the butter, whatever, all those things are already in there. But I have to stir it up. And once I stir it up, this is where I get the, the, the content that I want for my snack. Within us is so many different emotions in different parts of who we are. But our kids stir us up. They get us angry. <coughs> in reality, I want to say this. Our kids do not get, make us angry. Our kids do not make us angry. They stir us up. But they're stirring, they're not adding anything. Like, it's, there's already anger within us. And it only takes our kid to kind of prick at us or to kind of poke at us. And then all of a sudden, we snap, right? But the anger is already within us. The instability is already within us. The anxiety is already within us. And our kids trigger that, right? I remember as a kid, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, right? So we, we do this with others. We're, we're, not, we're, we're triggering them for them to snap. We're stirring up something. 
So the question is, or not the question, the statement is, our kids do not get us angry. Our spouse does not make us angry. The anger is already within us. St. Paul's saying, they just stir us up. So then the question that, 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 that precedes this is why is anger or anxiety or tension or instability within us in the first place and it only takes someone to trigger that? So we get easily angered and we're getting stirred up, but the reality is our kid is not adding anything to us. It's already within us. Our anger is already within us, but they're naturally just triggering it. So what is making us mad? What makes us snap and say things and we look back and we regret that we said that to our kid or to our spouse? What's within us? Let's be raw and real. It's our selfishness. We're not getting what we want. That's it. We're not getting what we want. Because we're not getting what we want, this is when we begin to talk down to others and we, and we put, instill that guilt into someone else. It's being stirred within us. Then we begin to dishonor. Then we're not long-suffering. Then we're not being kind. It's already within us. This is why this entire thing we're talking about, parent, you know, parenting, and I keep on connecting it to marriage or any other aspect of life, it's all about us. It's all about us. We're looking for a quick fix, right? We're looking for that, you know, you know 10 steps to parent, right? We're, all, we're looking for that blog. That, that We're looking for that quick fix. We're looking for that video, that podcast to fix on how we can parent. All that's fabulous. All that's great. I love all those resources. But ultimately, it comes from within. Ultimately, it comes from our investment in the inner life. This is why Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, you know what? Let me spend you know, a couple of chapters talking about parenthood. John, if you don't mind writing down a couple of things, designate a couple of chapters in the gospel here about parenthood. This is important. He doesn't do that because it all ultimately comes down to our behavior of who we are. This is why, if we can agree that the root of what stirs us up is our selfishness, this is why the liturgical or ancient expression of this is a prostration, or the Greek word is metania, that I'm, I, I put down my selfishness in order for me to rise and put on unconditional, long-suffering love. I'm always putting down my selfishness and rising to be the version that I am called to be through God. So this, this metania or prostration, this is why the church encourages us to do it. It's a, it's a physical, visible expression for me to put down my selfishness, my ego, my anxiety, my pain, and for me to rise as someone new. I love this icon. By the way, we have this icon here in the church, and I love this icon because it's, it's pulling in the 12 followers of Jesus, the 12 disciples, but painting them in a way that shows uh, them being part of a vine. Where Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he tells the disciples, you are the branches. So he's pulling in an agriculture analogy to show them in order for a branch to thrive, it has to be grafted into the true vine. So Jesus pulls this in. So I love this icon so much. And one of the, um, one of the disciples it goes by the name of St. James, uh, son of Alphaeus. There's multiple James, but let's, so there's one uh, called St. James. And he has, in addition to his epistle that he wrote, there is a second century document. By the way, I'm coughing, but I, I just, it was COVID negative a couple days ago, so I just, anyway, it's the cold. I, so just so you can focus with me and not freak out. So, so St. James, there's an article that we know in church history in which he wrote, and this is the term of, of the document that he wrote. It's called the Proto-Evangelion of James. Proto-Evangelion of James. 
So, and many historians say that this is, this is, um, this is an article written by, by St. James, some alluded to other people. But in this article, it's called the Proto-Evangelion of James. It is not a gospel. Obviously, we only have four gospels. But in this article, we capture a lot of hymnology and language of the church that we capture from this document. So we don't just capture whatever is in the Bible and that's it, everything else is nonsense. No, we utilize this document tremendously and it's called the Proto-Evangelion of James. And some of the things that we get from him is the stories of these two families. Anybody know who's the family here on the left? You can either read it or tell me. Who, who's this couple here on the left? Yeah, Joachim and Anna, which are the parents of, of St. Mary. This is not in the Bible. Like, you can't find their names, but we know this from this document called the Proto-Evangelion of James, all right? There's also another family, which, uh, obviously, this has been the icon of this series of, of, of parenthood, of looking at the icon of St. Mary as a mother and looking at St. Joseph as a father. And actually, we get many details of actually St. Joseph talking, and we get some details of their dynamic as a family that we get from this Proto-Evangelion of James from this document. So I just wanted to cut through your cool FYI. We see other church fathers quote this, this record, Origen, St. Justin, the martyr. We see some other people. So we put a lot of emphasis on this document. Obviously, it's not at the same level as the Bible, but we, we capture a lot of elements. And it complements as far as the narrative of the birth of Jesus and the birth of St. Mary. We pull a lot of these, these details from this document. And this document complements... Uh, the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, all right? So that's maybe your, for those who are into history or, you know, stuff like that, this, I just wanted to, to share that. But I, what I wanted to point out, it's through this document and through the life of the church that we show tremendous reverence toward parents. We show tremendous reverence toward parents because this is a sacrifice. This is a martyrdom. This is you giving life to the next generation, and the church shows tremendous reverence toward parents. If you don't believe me, go to a baby baptism and see how, look at the language of the text. See how the church gives so much reverence toward the parents for their new obligation of them now establishing a church within their house, of them raising the next generation generation. And what I wanted to point out, going back to St. James, I want to share with you, obviously he wrote the Proto-Evangelion of James, but he also wrote an epistle, which we have in the Bible, written by James. And, uh, and I want to share with you something that he wrote to a group of early Christian converts. He said this. He asked them this question, and he's asking you this question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes you to get all fired up and for you to just snap? What causes you to lose it at home? What causes you to snap? He continues, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What is St. James saying? He's like, aren't they really coming from within you? Like, he, he's basically asking two questions. He's like, what's causing you to get fired up? Well, James, I'll tell you, if my husband ever did this, or if my wife was more, more present, give me more respect, this is, I wouldn't be able to snap like that. Well, if my kids just be, listened to the first time I told them something, I wouldn't have this issue, so forth and so on. So he asked the question, what causes you to fight? And that's for everyone's first response. That's my response. That's your response. And then St. James asks question number two, right? It's always the second question that's more important than the first, right? If I ask you, how are you doing? That's one thing. But I ask you, no, for real, like, how are things going at home? That's a different question. St. James asks one question, then he goes deeper. He says, what gets you to get fired up? Then he asks question number two. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Like St. James asking, aren't they just coming that within you because you're not getting what you want? It continues. 
You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. What is St. James saying? We get this. This, just, this. this makes practical life sense. He's saying, you try everything possible to get what you want. So what do you end up doing? You end up killing that relationship. You end up killing that person's emotions. You end up killing that person's uh, self-esteem because you're not getting what you want. Then you, you end up fighting within yourself because you're not getting what you want. And then emotions get the best of us. We get all charged, charged up because we're not getting what, the be, what we want for ourselves. And what do we end up doing? We ended up bringing it down on our kids because they're not getting what they want. Because, sorry, because I'm not getting what I want as a parent, so I'm going to give it to the, uh, so I'm, I'm going to talk down to, to my child because I'm not getting what I want, so I'm going to make you pay the, the, the price for it. And I'm, I'm going to penalize you and make you pay the price because I am not getting what I want. I'm stirred up because of this anger, and you really triggered my anger. You really brought it up. You really stirred it within me. So you, since you got me angry, which really the kid didn't get you angry, we get emotionally charged. And then what do we end up doing? We end up talking as if the child has the emotional capacity to calm us down or to, for, for, for our child to make us happy or for us to be at peace. The, the child does not have the capacity. And what does that child end up, what's being instilled in the child day after day, argument after argument? The child begins to think, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why do I, why do I keep on getting daddy angry? Why do I keep on getting mom to, to yell? They think something is continuously wrong with them as opposed to us as parents not focusing on the inner life. Let's go off for a second. Attention. The liturgy, the Eucharist, is the, the, the epitome of our union with Christ. And we see that clearly established by Jesus, clearly practiced by the apostles, clearly continuing to be practiced in the Orthodox Church in this beautiful continuity for 2,000 years. We see that. Within the liturgy, there are tons of expressions of an internal truth. There are tons of expression of an internal truth. One expression is we do the sign of the cross. That is an external expression of an internal truth. It's an external expression of an internal truth. We see this expressed physically through incense, through our prayers, through, through our gestures, various things. It's not legalism. It's not dry. But they're external expressions of an internal truth. I give you a hug. That's an external expression that I like you, okay? So we get this, okay? But I want to share something that we do in the church. We pray liturgically, or many times the priest would go to the deacons or even to the congregation. Forgive me. Pray for me. And you would greet, and, and there's also a time where you would greet one another, and you're showing reverence toward one another, mutual respect for one another, showing honor to one another. You're showing this external expression to reflect an internal truth. It's an external expression of an internal truth. My question, what we express liturgically, do we express it Paraliturgically, I completely made up that word. But I want to, I don't, I feel like you can put a hyphen between any two words and you got a word. So what I want to say this, what we express liturgically as far as honor and love and respect and me, me esteeming you above me, if we express this liturgically by greet one another and forgive me 
if we express this through gestures in our ancient church, if we express that liturgically, do we express it paraliturgically? Do we also express it outside of church as well? Or is that just a church thing? Do we express that, express that outside of church? Or is that just the church thing? You guys, you guys get what I'm saying? I just want to make sure because I'm highly insecure of using paraliturgically as a word. But I want you to understand what I'm trying to say. What we express liturgically, do we express that outside of liturgy as well or not? St. Paul continues. So he said this. Love is patient, long-suffering. Love is kind. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not selfish. It is not easily stirred up with anger. And it keeps no record of wrongs. And he concludes by this. It always protects. Love always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. You know what I think of love protecting? I think what we say in the, in the, prayer, in the, uh, the prayer of Thanksgiving. We say, let us give thanks to the beneficent and merciful God. Who protects me? I think of the poor decisions I have made in which I have been protected. I made poor decisions. And if I was not protected, I would, you know, be embarrassed. I would feel like I would have to deal with severe consequences to that. Sometimes through our own flaws, we end up getting protected. And I think of love being protective of us. Parents, do we protect our kids? And, and, and you know, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but I want to ask this one question. Do we value the approval of our kids more than them? Do we value the approval of our kids more than, than our love for them, our value of them as a person, as an icon of God? What do I mean by that? Sometimes we want to be our friends with our kids to the utmost extent. We want to be their best friends, and we want to, and so we value them to always be happy. So let's do this. Let me get you this. Let me get you a new of this. We always, we value them to always be happy. Do you value the approval of your kids? Do you always want them to approve of you and always for them to think you're the coolest mom, you're the coolest dad, you're the best mom, you're the best dad because you always get me this. We always do this together. Do you value the approval of your kids more than them? Sometimes we need to protect them and think long-term what's ultimately best for them. Like, it's always better to lean toward protecting them more as opposed to just saying, we're buddies, you can do as you wish, I'm going to give you tons of freedom. Yes, obviously we need wisdom and we need discernment on the appropriate season for all of that. But it's better for us to lean toward protection as opposed to the opposite. Because, you know, once you give them too much freedom, it's so much harder to go back and to protect them. So it's better for us to lean toward loving them by protecting them. I just want to end with a few random questions just because we're talking about parenting in four weeks, and I just kind of wanted to, to blurt out some random questions. Question number two. What are your goals as a parent? What are your goals as a parent? Is it for them to have the newest thing, for them to get into the best school, for them to, to be busy eight days a week, being sarcastic, but do you always want them to always, there's always something to do next, 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 next. What are your goals? Is your goal to edify them as a man or a woman of God and build them for them to grow as a leader and as a servant of Christ and for them to live for them? Are you investing in their future marriage, in their future household? What is your goal? You would all agree, but what's the application of that goal? What are our goals as parents? Question number, oh, let me make this point, sorry. I want to make a big point not to say not goals. What do I mean by that? Sometimes our goals are not goals. Our goal is this. My goal is that I am not like my parents. My goal is that I don't parent my kids the way my parents parented me. 
I, my, I, my goal to parent my kids is not to be like that parent. Those are not goals. Those are not goals. You say your bar, you, the bar is here. Those are just not goals. So you, say your bar, cast a vision for who you are as a parent or in your marriage. Cast a vision. Don't say, well, I don't want marriage to be like that. Or I don't want, I, I don't want to parent I, I, the same way I was parented. No, those are not goals. Those are just not goals. So we, we want to avoid that. Second, uh, the next question. What are your priorities for your children? What do you prioritize? Right? So this is kind of connected. But if your goals, goals and your priorities are obviously going to be connected. So determine, what are your priorities as parents? All right? And we talked about this over the past couple of weeks. Let us apologize in order, not to, in order to restore a relationship. We discipline our kids in order to restore a relationship. So let us apologize. Let us, just as we say liturgically, forgive me, pray for me, I have sinned. Do we practice that paraliturgically? Do we practice that at home? Which is an extension of the church, obviously. Your home is an extension of the church. It's a reflection of the church. You being priest and priestess and your congregation is your children. Do you practice that? You know what? I, I'm sorry for snapping at you the other day. It was wrong. And I know I shouldn't. Please accept my apology. First of all, your kid will be like, what? They'll give you that look once you apologize like that. But the impact that you're able to have by being an icon of forgiveness Man, talk about a great investment for our kids. Let us apologize. And let me just kind of say this one thing. If, if the, the outcome of our kids, if we think it's all because of what we do for our kids, forgive me with all respect, that is a reflection of your pride. If you think your entire investment of everything you do for your kid and what you don't do for your kid and you want your kid to turn out because they're a reflection of you, and they don't turn out a certain way, or they don't do what you want because it's reflecting bad on you, forgive me, this is a reflection of our pride. We have one small role to do. It's a big role, but we have a role to work synergistically with God and raising our kids. But it's not all. If I say it's all on me, I've omitted God working in my kid's life. I've removed God, and I feel it's all about me. So if my kid turns out well, look at me. They did wrong, then shame on me. No. We have a role, but there, there's tons of variables. But to think it's all on what we do for our kids and what we buy and what we do to invest in them, yes, we have a role, big-time role. And I hope that's been clear over the past four weeks. But don't just make it all about us. If you think it's all about us, that is a reflection of our pride. This is why we pray that the title of this series, which kind of looking back, maybe it's not the most attractive title, but it's the, it's the title of it's the prayer that St. Gregory said, Lord, strengthen the elders, the parents, and chasten the young, discipline the young. Last thing is this. It's not a question, but we are loaning to invest in the next generation. We are loaning our kids. We are renting our kids to invest in them. And then we return them. We're renting them, and then we return them. We are loaning gifts, and we return it back. We're here for a temporary purpose. And part of that temporary time here is our temporary role as biological, physical parents. But let us connect our biological parent role, parental role, with this vertical role of our divine parent. And let us work with him. Let us be in sync with him. And know, ultimately, we are loaning our kids to invest in the next generation. Yesterday, the church celebrated the life of St. Augustine, which I quote and mention him a lot and he said these words the greater the love of god 
that the saints possess? Who are the saints? You. The greater the love of God that the saints possess, the more they endure all things for him. The greater the love of God that the saints possess, the more they endure all things for him. This is not a sprint. Parenthood, marriage is a marathon. But let us embrace the greater the love of God that the saints possess, the more they endure all things for him. Listen, we will always screw up. We will always mess up. I promise you, I mentioned this from week one and I want to end with this as well. We're always going to look back and saying, I wish I did this differently. I wish I did this differently as a parent. We're always going to have that. But let's not be haunted by that. That's never ending. I wish I did this. I wish I did that. We're always going to be haunted by that. But let us embrace now today. What is my role to me to be an icon of my divine father? How can I be an icon to my kids here by that? Now, we will always mess up. But let us not forget, we're partnering with him. We're holding God's hand for us to do this together. And I don't want you to feel alone. I don't want you to feel shame or regret or guilt. We're in this together for us to pray the words of St. Gregory. Lord, strengthen the elders and chasten the young. Let us elevate and honor the role that we have been entrusted with as parents and know that we have a role to do. And we will always mess up because that's our nature. We're always going to screw up. But if we can apologize to restore relationships and have our eyes on our Heavenly Father, this is where we can make it to the end. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we are weak alone. We are confused alone. And there's always going to be tension in our marriages, in our homes, with our kids. But Lord, I pray that our eyes are on you, you being our, our spiritual father, for us to know that, that we are yearning to find life in you, yearning to apply the love which comes from you, apply that in our marriages, in our homes, for that love to be long-suffering, for that love to be kind, for that love not to be angry, easily angered or stirred up with anger. Lord, I ask that you fill our homes with your love and ultimately our hearts with your love. Because if we're wanting to parent, if we're wanting to invest in our marriages and our relationships and everyone around us, it begins within us. Through the intercession of St. Mary and through the prayers of St. James and St. Paul the Apostles, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one and Christ Jesus our Lord, for that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys. Just a reminder, if you haven't...